What's up, my witch bitches? <laughs> Today, I'm going to tell you about my spiritual path. I'm going to tell you about my spiritual journey. So on TikTok, um, I got on there and I told everybody, yo, I'm podcasting now. I'm like distributed on a whole bunch of different platforms. I don't know what I'm going to talk about, so why don't y'all give me some ideas about stuff you want me to talk about, and I totally will. Uh, One of the people, one of my friends out there said, well, why don't you tell us about your spiritual journey? Why don't you tell us about your spiritual path? And I was like, well, everybody already knows that, right? Well, not really, actually. You know, there's a lot of people that um, have not had the opportunity for me to tell talk about my spiritual path like the entire thing from beginning to end as a story so I decided today was a perfect day to do it I just rolled out of bed I I, I've got my uh, vanilla chai latte soy enema over here (laughs) it's Friday thank god it's Friday so who knows what the hell is gonna happen So yeah, um, I feel the need, the urge, or the desire to talk about my spiritual path today and tell you how I became me or how I arrived at where I'm at. Um, And it's so interesting. Uh, There's so many people out there that say that they like listening to my voice, that they like the sound of my voice, or that the sound of my voice is like comforting in some kind of way, which is really, really crazy because growing up, I always... Oh, I hated the sound of my voice. Um, I would record myself and I would talk to myself and record myself with like my tape recorder and then I'd play it back and I, I kind of had a little bit of a spe- speech impediment when I was young, younger and I mean uh, when I was a little boy turning about 8, 9, or 10 it was suggested to my mother that she get me a tape recorder so that I could record myself talking So I would record myself talking and then I'd play it back and I'd listen to myself and I would work on my speech patterns or changing my speech. And I used to hate listening to my voice. Oh, I feel like my voice sounds squeaky and whiny. So I'm not the kind of person that would want to sit around and listen to myself talk. But a lot of you guys out there say you do. You put me on in the background while you're washing your dishes or cleaning your house or while you're driving a driving to work and that's just fine that is just fine that makes me so happy to know that some of you guys out there like listening to me run my mouth but today I'm not going to be talking as much shit uh, I will be a little bit more serious today uh, this will be a little bit more of an introspective kind of post because we're going to start out with um being born and raised a Jehovah's Witness. Yes, folks, I was born and raised a Jehovah's Witness. And if you don't know what that is, well, it's the people that show up at your door on Saturday morning while you're trying to watch cartoons, trying to teach you about God's kingdom, get you to sit down and study the Bible with them, the Watchtower Organization. Well, I was born and raised in that, and we're going to talk about that. And hopefully this is going to be educational. You'll learn something about religion as we go along because you guys know I'm an educator, a spiritual entertainer. I try to make learning about religion and philosophy fun. So I'm going to tell you about that uh, 
tell you about all of that as we go, so you know. Then you'll be like, oh, okay, I know who Jehovah's Witnesses are, my friend. And please, I want you all to consider me your friend. I want to be everyone's friend. You be my friend, Philip, <laughs> or Ryan. A lot of people call me Ryan these days, and I like being called Ryan. You can call me whatever you want. I'll, I'll respond to anything you call me. How about that? Be like, my friend Ryan over here was a Jehovah's Witness, and this is what I know about that organization based on what he said, being born and raised in it. So I'll teach you a, a thing or two about Jehovah's Witnesses without being disparaging, like I don't want to put anyone down, but I only speak mad facts. I only speak the truth. And of course, all of you can go and research all of this stuff uh, on your own. And then after the whole Jehovah's Witness thing, going to college, learning about philosophy, religion, waking up to being a true witch, bitch, becoming a uh, magician, someone who practices magic, sorcery, yoga, and, and the whole nine. I have a really interesting spiritual path. It's been all over the place. I've learned and studied a lot of different things, and I'm going to tell you how I got to where I am today, uh, which is basically still a witch, uh, and an initiate into the spiritism that comes off the island of Puerto Rico, okay? Caribbean spiritism is where I'm at as a psychic medium, and also about uh, how I came to the traditions of Santeria, Palo Mayombe, the 21 Divisions, Sanse, and my experience entering into what would be considered ATRs, or African traditional religions. So there's a, there's a lot to say here. There's a lot to unpack here, everybody. A lot to unpack. Some of the things I say might be very, very educational. Some of the things might make you laugh. Some of the stuff might offend you. And if I offend you, I am not sorry. <laughs> Stop being so motherfucking sensitive. Stop being offended so easily. God, God, stop being so offended and listen to what I have to say till the end. That's another motherfucking thing I always say on my TikToks. Before you hit that block button, before you hit that report button, try to cancel my ass. <laughs> listen to the entire video or listen to this entire podcast before throwing your judgments about me. I think we should all listen to one another, and even if we're not all right, emotionally, everyone um, should be validated for their experience. We should all be validated for the experience that we have, even if our experience was the wrong one, okay? So I'm really excited. Uh, I've got my coffee. Um, um, I'm gonna have my morning shit, and then when I come back, we are going to talk about everything that I've experienced when it comes to the spiritual awakening. All right? Hang tight, y'all. Okay, everybody. 
to understand what makes Philip Deal tick, we have to go back. We have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to my family, and we have to go back to the way I was raised. So I was born and raised a Jehovah's Witness, third generation on my mother's side, second generation on my father's side. So real quickly, I want to explain to you how my mother and my father got wrapped up in the religion, and then we can go from there. So Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in an afterlife. They don't believe in hell. Okay, so one of the core doctrines that Jehovah's Witnesses hold is that when somebody dies, they're dead. Okay, this concept of in heaven and hell, the heaven thing, a little complicated. I might or might not talk about the 144,000 chosen men and women that are bought from the earth um, who have been washed and made clean in the blood of the Lamb. I, I don't know if I'm going to go down the whole theology of Jehovah's Witnesses doctrine, but I might have to explain it to you. Anyway, the point is, is that Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in hellfire. That doctrine is something that they rejected, okay? So my grandmother, God rest her soul, she was a wonderful woman. She was saving grace for me growing up. She died when I was 10, and it absolutely devastated me when my grandmother died. It was, um, it was a huge loss for me when I was a little boy. <clears throat> Excuse me. You guys have to bear with me uh, with my all of my sinus drainage and congestion. So my grandmother had an illegitimate child. My mother would swear that she absolutely never did, that she was married to the man that she gave birth, uh, that she was married to the man, the child she gave birth to. But my aunt... Um, said, no, that's not true. And since my mother is such a liar, <laughs> I believe my aunt. But what had happened was my grandmother uh, had hooked up with this guy, and she had a child, and her first child died. Now, I don't know if it was stillborn or if it had SIDS or what, but the baby didn't make it. See, a lot of uh, what I know about my family history is wrapped up in illusion and smoke and mirrors because no one is honest in my family. So getting real answers about stuff that really happened, I, I, I don't think I ever got it, but it doesn't matter. So my grandmother, after losing her child, and I don't even know if it was a boy or a girl, went to her Baptist preacher and asked the Baptist preacher, where is my child now? What happened to my child now that she's passed away? And the preacher said, your child is burning in hell. <laughs> your child is burning in hellfire because you're a slut. <laughs> you're a whore. And um, you had this illegitimate child and that child is suffering because of your sins. Well, that just sent my grandmother off. Like she absolutely could not handle this response. And she was like, she stopped going to church. 
so years pass by. Um, she marries my grandfather, okay? My grandfather and her have um, my mom and my aunt. So my mother and my aunt are, are little girls. I think my aunt was about four years old. My mother was about five years old. And here comes a little old lady, a Jehovah's Witness, doing her ministry, going up to doors, knocking on doors, offering Bible studies to people. Because the Jehovah's Witness organization is a pyramid scheme, okay? The elite motherfuckers at the very, very top of the organization, which is a handful of men, and only men, make decisions for all of the people who are Jehovah's Witnesses. They make the doctrinal um, decisions about the theology, what is official, watchtower teachings, the true teachings of God, since they're the mouthpiece of God. And then everybody under them falls in line. Little old lady, Jehovah's Witness, showed up, knocked on the door, offered my grandmother a Bible study. And my grandmother said, okay, wait a minute. Now, I got to ask you a question here. And my question is, and she told the little old lady the entire story about what had happened to her. She said to her, where is my daughter? And the Jehovah's Witness lady opened up her Bible and shared passages out of the Bible that refutes the going to hellfire doctrine. Um, you know, she explained that Sheol was a place that people died and that, that that person is unconscious until the resurrection happens. When Jesus comes back after Armageddon, everyone's going to be resurrected to the earth. And that's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that if you're a witness, when you die, you go to sleep, and after Jesus comes back and Armageddon happens and the, the world is purged, right, of all wickedness, then those people who have been dead, have died, will be resurrected. They'll literally rise out of the ground and they'll come back as they were when they passed away and, 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 and there will be an opportunity to reestablish God's kingdom on earth, God's kingdom reigning in heaven, but on earth, people will be following these teachings, right? So there's a, there's a promise of a paradise earth, not heaven, not heaven, a physical resurrection that happens on earth and the followers will be living on earth like Adam and Eve were back in the Garden of Eden. Well, this sounded great to my grandmother. She was like, sign me up, <laughs> sign me up. Where do, I, where do I go to join this religion? And as you know, or you might not know, that Jehovah's Witnesses uh, pretty much reject Christendom and all other Christianities, all other branches of Christianity, all other faiths as being false religion. Only Jehovah's Witnesses have the truth, the absolute truth, and secret mystical knowledge about what God uh, wants and everybody else ain't shit. And that's part of the doctrine. So only Jehovah's Witnesses are true Christians. Everybody else is a fake Christian. <laughs> Does that rhetoric sound familiar, that propaganda? So being such that these people uh, reject Christendom, they also reject 
the pagan elements that are in Christianity. And when I say pagan elements, I mean all of the holidays. So Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate Christmas. They don't celebrate Easter. They recognize Christmas as being a pagan holiday that was appropriated into Christianity to appease the pagan minds that they were trying to get into this government. And also Easter, they reject that. So my, my mother and my aunt, like for the first four or five years of their life, growing up, celebrated holidays. They celebrated their birthday. Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate their birthday either. They celebrated their birthday. They celebrated um, holidays. And then my grandmother, studying this stuff, took all of those things away from them and explained to them we're not celebrating holidays anymore and this is why they're pagan, they're bad, we're going to become Jehovah's Witnesses. And my aunt, my mother, and my grandmother got baptized. Because even if you're a baptized Christian in another denomination, your baptism is invalid. It wasn't a real baptism because you weren't following the real truth about Jesus. So you get rebaptized. So... My grandfather, <laughs> my grandfather, born and raised on the island of Puerto Rico, was a Catholic. You know, he was raised Catholic. And I have a very strong belief that my grandfather, and I know other people in my family in Puerto Rico and my ancestors, practiced spiritism. African traditional religions are the descendants of the Tainos, the Native Americans, the first Native Americans to be colonized after Christopher Columbus showed up lost in the Bahamas and kind of sailed up to the shores of what we know as the Dominican Republic today. The first Native Americans to be contacted were the Taino people who are the descendants of the Arawaks. They had been in the islands and populating the greater Antilles well for a very, very, very long time, maybe ten to 14,000 years. So when Columbus shows up and he meets these people, this is, you know, I, we will get into that later. We'll, we'll get into the, the history of the Caribbean, maybe not today in this podcast, but we'll get into traditional religions as they're practiced on the island. But I think my grandfather had some kind of hand in it, because his spirits got so mad. Oh, they got so mad. My grandfather's spirits, okay, his guardian and his spirit guides, got really, really pissed when my grandmother started studying this Jehovah's Witness stuff and actually created problems, problems in the house. They said there was paranormal activity that started after my grandmother started studying this witness stuff, maybe bringing the Watchtower organization stuff into her home brought in negative and unwanted energy. But for whatever reason, my grandmother is told that she's getting resistance from Satan, the devil, and all of his demons are attacking her because now she's found the truth and they're going to increase their persecution of her. So they played kingdom songs in the house on the record player. They prayed all the time. They went to the kingdom hall, which is what Jehovah's Witnesses call their church, where they meet. 
and eventually this paranormal activity stopped. My grandfather actually got so freaked out with the paranormal activity that was going on inside the house that one day my mom, my aunt, and my grandmother came home from going out to the grocery store and my grandfather was sitting outside on the steps afraid to go inside the house. How crazy is that? <laughs> That's some crazy bullshit right there, right? Well, we're going to fast forward now to my dad. Uh, my mother, like I said, then was proceeded to be uh, raised in the, in the church. Excuse me. Let me just yawn in your ear. Oy, I am not a professional podcaster, so my podcast is quite homemade. You guys will have to deal with my yawning and everything. So how did my dad get into all this stuff? Well, my grandfather on my dad's side was a, a real hateful son of a bitch. That's all I know. He was a real bastard. He was abusive. He was mean. He beat everyone, included my, including my grandmother. I don't believe that he was an alcoholic. He was just a mean son of a bitch. And, uh, and not, they were not witnesses. Okay, They were not witnesses. I don't even know if my grandparents were ever anything. Uh, because I don't even think they went to church. One day, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses came to my dad's house. When he was a teenager, okay, he was a teenager, and they started studying the Bible with his mother. Now, my grandfather didn't like it, but he allowed it. But he wouldn't let my grandmother leave the house, and he wouldn't let her go to the kingdom hall. She was required to stay home, <laughs> and she was not going to be joining the religion, but someone could come around and teach the Bible to her. Well, the, the elders or the men in the congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses kind of took a liking to my dad and started mentoring him, okay? So my dad falls in love with Jehovah's Witnesses as an organization, as a church. He, he, he becomes indoctrinated into the dogma. He finds a home with all of the people who, uh, who are at the church, especially the men who are the elders of the church. And he decides, you know, this is for me. This is where I want to be. This is my spiritual path. So my dad really became a Jehovah's Witness based on a, on, on a, on a, on a like trauma bonded. You know, my dad basically trauma bonded himself to this religion and to the people in the religion. And I, he really found solace on a, on a personal, emotional level. Okay. This church satisfied his personal and emotional needs. He became devout to this religion and is still devout to it. So when my mother was a teenager, all of the witnesses around Virginia Beach, Virginia and Hampton Roads, what used to be Tidewater, Virginia, and then later became Hampton Roads, they all knew each other. They all ran with one another. And my mother and my father got married. Okay? Long story, not going to go into that either. After my mom and dad got married, they had me, and I was born into the Watchtower organization. Now, we need to go back just for a second because this is probably going to be the first and last time I 
ever talk about Jehovah's Witnesses on my podcast. It's part of my history. I want it recorded for posterity, but it's not something I ever want to like go back and talk about because it's just not worth it. I was severely traumatized by that religion, and I suffer from religious trauma being raised in that cult because it is a cult. It's not something I like talking about, but it's part of my spiritual path, and you're going you're gonna to hear about it. There was a man named Charles Taz Russell, and Charles Taz Russell is someone who found a spiritual awakening by reading and studying the Bible on his own, without going to theological school, without going to seminary, without having any formal education in Christianity or philosophy or the church, and decided that after reading the Bible, he was a prophet of God and started the International Bible Students Association, and he started his own ministry based on his own understanding of the Bible, and he found other people that were interested in sitting around in small groups and studying the Bible too. That's the foundation of Jehovah's Witness organization. Charles Taz Russell, um, or Charles Taze Russell, started the International Bible Student Students, and later it became the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, based in Brooklyn, New York. Um, this gentleman, as a prophet, was highly charismatic and gained a following, just like Joseph Smith gained a following for Mormonism. And a lot of people confuse Jehovah's Witnesses with Mormons because the Mormons also go out and do their ministry. Very, very different. Two completely separate religions have nothing to do with one another. But that whole Joseph Smith and Charles Taz Russell, those figures are the people that created these, these kinds of branches, these cults that, that uh, deviated from mainstream Christianity. Now, it's still Christianity. Jehovah's Witnesses are a Christian church. They believe in the, I guess you could say, that the uh, miraculous conception of Jesus. They believe in the Gospels. They believe in the teachings of Jesus. They believe that Jesus died for everyone's sins. They believe that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom and that one day, after the resurrection, going to heaven and sitting at the right hand of God, like most Christians, Jesus will come back. He will bring the end of the world. And after Armageddon ends, everyone who is a Jehovah's Witness will get to live in peace and harmony. But you have to be a Jehovah's Witness. You can't be any other type of Christian. Because any other type of Christian is a false Christian. Because only the Watchtower Society is the mouthpiece and channel for God's truth on earth. And that's the teaching. Now, the teachings are very, very bizarre. They have their own Bible. The New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures is what I was born and raised on because Jehovah's Witnesses make the claim that their Bible is the only accurate translation of the Bible. It's full of errors. A lot of the passages have been altered to, I guess you could say, kind of fall in harmony with the doctrine of the church. And any biblical scholar or anybody who is educated in, in biblical studies will tell you this Bible is not accurate at all, so just don't read it. But that is what Jehovah's Witnesses 
have. So let's let's talk about me now. Let's get around to me. It's because this podcast is all about me. I was born into it. And some of my earliest memories, I, I would dare say my earliest memories are around going to the Kingdom Hall. I have very clear memories as being a little boy, being held on my father or my mother's arm or my grandmother's arm and being at the Kingdom Hall singing Kingdom songs because at the beginning of church, in the middle of the service and at the end of the service, they sing very special songs that are, are written for only Jehovah's Witnesses to sing. And I remember singing these songs in the Kingdom Hall. When I was very little, I was probably like, I don't know, five, five or six years old, four or five years old. I don't really have any early, early, early memories as a child. And then I also remember going to conventions because besides having congregations that Jehovah's Witnesses attend, they also um, have these big uh, events every single year where larger groups of witnesses will get together. Even conventions, stadiums of Jehovah's Witnesses will come together for very, very big conventions. Now let me explain to you how the congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses is set up. Well, like I said before, there's this is a pyramid scheme. This is a hierarchy. And the men, the small group of men who actually make the doctrinal decisions and the dogmas for what is authentic watchtower teachings, there's a trickle-down effect that starts with what they call the governing body. And the trickle-down effect goes down to everyone in Bethel or everyone who is in the organization because it's you become really really elite if you get the opportunity to go and work for the organization. You get very very special privileges by being a part of the creative process for making the books and the watchtowers and all the magazines and all of that. Then from that group of people, it filters down to what they call district overseers that oversee districts around the United States and the world very large groups of congregations. Then there are circuit overseers that are underneath district overseers who, who, who look over maybe a few congregations. And then you have the elders in each individual congregation. So when you're a Jehovah's Witness, the people you pretty much com come into contact with are the elders and the other people in each individual congregation. You'll come into contact with the circuit overseers that visit um, uh, maybe once every six months, you'll come into contact with a district overseer that might show up maybe once a year. And then you go to these large conventions uh, for these very, very big events. And I, I'm not going to put down individual people that choose to be Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not going to do it because I want to tell you right now, there were, there, I, there were, advantages, a few advantage of, advantages of being born and raised in this church, in this organization that was, that was helpful for me in life. So I'm not going to tell you that my experience was all bad, okay? Because let's take holidays for an example. Yes, Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate holidays, but I 
was never raised celebrating a holiday. So I don't, I don't know what it's like to, 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 to have been celebrating uh, my birthday and then stop celebrating my birthday. I never had anything taken away from me because it was never given to begin with. I didn't celebrate my first birthday until I was 22 years old. I did not celebrate my first Christmas and my first Halloween until I was 22 years old, way after I left the organization, after they kicked me out or disfellowshipped me, excommunicated me for sucking dick. We're getting there, everybody. We're getting there. So hold on a second. Hold on. Hold your horses. My parents were all about appearances. And it was very, very important that the people of the congregation viewed our family as being highly spiritual and very, very devout to this church. My father, from uh, because he got into it so young and he was such a protege of the older men uh, that he was raised around, he became an elder when he was young and served as an elder in the congregation, which is a great privilege for anyone for a very, very, very long time. My dad had his privileges taken away at certain points in time because of fuck-ups that I don't know about. Became an elder again, had his status taken away again after I got disfellowshipped because my disfellowshipping was very, very bad for him in the church. And I believe that he's an elder again now, but I don't know because we don't have anything to do with one another. We don't have anything to do with one another because... Uh, if you leave the church or they disfellowship you or you stop going, Jehovah's Witnesses will shun you. They might not shun people who just become irregular or what they say is weak, weak in faith because they're not coming to the meetings anymore. But if you choose to consciously walk away and write a letter that says, I no longer want to be part of your organization or you get disfellowshipped and you get kicked out of this organization then um, the, the people can't talk to you anymore. They completely shun you. So, and, and, and the interesting thing, and I was, I was at, my, I have a coven of male witches. Yes, it is my coven, and it's based in Manchester, New Hampshire. And we get together and we perform ceremonies every full moon on the solstices and the equinoxes and special events if there's some kind of, uh, ritual ceremony that we want to perform. So I basically went from being a Jehovah's Witness to a witch. Okay, You couldn't get farther from each other. And I know it sounds extreme, but there's actually a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> that left the church that became witches. That's a weird phenomena. I don't know why that is. But I was talking to my coven last night about like the structure of the Jehovah's Witness organization and the elders in the congregation. And this is like a really big fundamental flaw in, in the church, the way it's raised, or, or, the, or the way it's ran. Excuse me. <clears throat> so in order to become an elder or a spiritual leader within the congregation, you have to prove your loyalty to the organization. You must prove your loyalty to the organization. The more loyal you are to this organization, the higher up in the ranks you will rise. 
So it is a lay-led ministry, and it is a lay-led church, meaning that the men and only men are allowed to be elders. They are the only people who are allowed to take any kind of leadership position. They are completely uneducated. They did not go to seminary. They did not go to theology. They went to a training on how to become an elder. But they don't understand philosophy. They don't understand comparative religion. They don't understand history. They don't know anything. They're not taught anything about other religions other than their false religions and we have the true religion. So you have to be 100% lost in the sauce. You have to have drank the Kool-Aid and you have to have dedicated your life to this organization and basically given up all of your time to do all the activities that this organization requires everybody to do to become an elder. So the problem with this is any Yahoo that walks into the church who becomes really super fanatical and radicalized by this cult has the opportunity to be in a leadership position. And that's very bad. <laughs> that's really, really bad. You know, the invention of the printing press changed our world. The invention of the printing press changed everything about our world. Changed everything. And the biggest mistake in history when it comes to religion is printing off a motherfucking Bible and allowing any Yahoo on the street to be able to hold one. That means if you're some guy or some gal, you know, that sneaks into a hotel room and steals the Bible that's um, uh, beside the bed, you can go outside, you can stand on a soapbox, you can become a prophet of Jesus Christ, and anybody can claim Christianity and be being a prophet of Jesus. And this, this whole, this whole everything about the Protestant Reformation and all of the different branches of Christianity you see today come from that level of arrogance and ignorance. Because the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, who has a priesthood that um, you know stands up in front of the congregants on Sundays and tells everybody to, be, to love one another and forgive one another and and uh, teaches the teachings that come out of the Bible and perform the Eucharist. You know, there, there's a reason why there was a priesthood that managed the affairs of the mysteries of Christianity because they were considered sacred and not everyone was allowed to have these teachings because Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. So to a certain, for, for a big, uh, for a, a very long time, People who were priests in Orthodoxy and priests in Catholicism were responsible for disseminating uh, the, the, the teachings of Christ to the congregates. Um, and that obviously backfired <laughs> it, because all religions backfire in the end because they're religions, they're structures and organizations. They're not based on, they're, they're not technically based on an individual person's spirituality or apotheosis, enlightenment, okay, at least within the Christian tradition for the most part. So the printing press came along, it pushed the Protestant Reformation forward, which, uh, which eventually spawned all of these other sects of Christianity, which eventually created Jehovah's Witnesses, which eventually ruined the first 22 years or 21 years of my motherfucking life. 
So this idea that everyone should have a Bible and everyone should be able to read it and everyone should be able to interpret it for themselves, oh, that's a really bad fucking idea. But that's what's happened in the world. And that is how we have the fuckery that we have with Christianity in this country and everywhere else that Christians travel to force people to believe this government, this, this political organization that they consider to be spiritual. I think we've had this conversation before, and we'll talk about Christianity again. You can go back and listen to my previous um, episode, Donald Trump is Jesus Christ, to get my views on Christianity, what it really is, and how Christianity uh, was a uh, rise to power okay, in the world. But uh, getting back to Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, uh, the elders in the congregation or the people that run the congregation and anything that happens that's negative in a person's life is actually mediated and worked with by the elders. So we have people who don't know anything about psychology. They don't know anything about therapy. They don't know anything about uh, interactions and working with people, yet they act as guides spiritually and counselors for people's marriages they, te- t- they tell people what kind of sex they can and cannot have within the context of someone's marriage. Um, and they, they rule and govern over people to the point that uh, a lot of the problems that happen in people's family lives are, I guess you could say, handled in-house. Because anything that brings any kind of reproach on the church, let's say you're a rapist or you're a pedophile or you've sexually molested your children or you're a drunk, you beat your wife, you put her in the hospital, all of these horrible domestic things that happen in people's lives, incest, all of these things that happen in people's lives that ruin people's lives, they're handled in the church. They discourage people from going to the authorities. They discourage people from going to the police. They discourage from people, for people talking openly about the problems inside the church because anything that brings reproach on the Watchtower organization is irreprehensible. It's even uh, a reason to discipline someone, even disfellowship them if they bring reproach on God's organization. There's an organization out there called Silent Lambs, and it's an organization full of men and women all over the world who were who suffered at the hands of pedophiles and sexual abuse within the organization that got swept under the rug. And so the idea that elders were taught by the Watchtower organization is before anyone goes to the police about any kind of matters, you handle that shit yourself. You bring it under control. You bring everybody back under control, snap them back in line, let everybody get over the trauma, and continue moving forward at all cost. So that's the mentality within the organization. I know that's not unique to Jehovah's Witnesses because that happens in a lot of different religions where they want everything handled in-house. A couple of other things that are really, really devastating is that they don't believe in blood transfusions. They don't believe in blood transfusions and a lot of people have died. A lot of people have died because they've been in hospitals, they've needed a blood transfusion to live, and they died because Jehovah's Witnesses say you can't have a blood transfusion. That's based on the scripture that says, do not consume blood. Another thing, uh, besides the blood thing, oh, shit, I just forgot what I was saying. 
there's a, there's another um, doctrine that is very very damaging for people. Oh, let's talk about the blood thing for a second. You know, I knew a man. His name was Brother Longmire. Brother Longmire was young. He was in his thirties, early thirties. He had a wife, a beautiful wife, who was also thirty. They were a beautiful, beautiful couple. They were very exuberant. He was very uh, uh, charismatic as an individual. Everybody loved him, and he was he had was lost in the sauce with this whole Jehovah's Witness organization. And him and his wife were expecting a child. Well, what happened was, and this is an absolute tragic story, is that his wife went into labor and they went down to the hospital and after she gave birth, she didn't stop bleeding. She hemorrhaged. And my <clears throat> brother Longmire, in an absolute, uh, in, a, in a point of confusion and, and, and I guess you could say in a crisis of faith, the doctors were telling him, if we don't give your if we don't give your wife a blood transfusion, she will die. Well, they called up my father, they called up my dad. My father went down to the hospital and basically held this man's hand as he weeped, um, as he was hysterical, as he cried while he watched his life his wife bleed out and die in front of him. Because my dad told this man that if he allowed her to accept a blood transfusion, that she might not have the hope of a resurrection and that it could even cost him his ability to see his wife on the other side of Armageddon. So my dad basically is responsible for the death of a woman who needed a blood transfusion to live based on these motherfucking people that said that you can't have a blood transfusion. I think that was wrong. I believe that was wrong. Um, I, I think that my dad has a hand in uh, that woman's death. He absolutely does. Uh, has responsibility when it comes to that woman's death. So what happened to poor brother Longmire? Well, poor brother Longmire after his wife died, had a beautiful, beautiful baby and continued to come to the Kingdom Hall for, I think, about a year. For about a year, the man showed up at the meetings uh, with a glazed look over his eyes, over his face, with an inability to function, with an inability to smile and interact with people, but still came anyway because he was having this crisis of faith. All of the sisters in the congregation was taking care of him, going to his house, taking him food, taking care of the child for him. Well, about a, a year and a half later, he did meet another woman who was a Jehovah's Witness, and he got married to her. And they were around for about six months, and then they wrote their letters to disassociate themselves from the Jehovah's Witness organization and walked away. He, um, I guess, came to eventually and realized that this organization, there was some really evil aspects of this organization he walked away from it and of course everybody was stunned right everybody was stunned that he walked away but that's what happened folks and and that that's the way that jehovah's witnesses ruin lives now i'm, tr I'm trying to pull my phone up over here because if you really want to learn more about uh the, the internal process and hypocrisy 
of this particular organization because I'm getting on to 40 fucking minutes talking about um, talking about uh, this organization. The book Crisis of Conscience is a book that I think that you should look at. Crisis of Conscience is a book that was written by a man named Raymond Franz. Raymond Franz. He was actually one of those men that sat at the top of the pyramid, okay, as uh, on the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses, and he was disfellowshipped, excommunicated out of the church for apostasy. The absolute worst possible thing you could be disfellowshipped for was apostasy. That means speaking against the Watchtower Society, which means speaking against God and Jesus Christ themselves because he differed from them doctrinally and he actually had to take a stance that was actually an authentic Christian teaching that Jehovah's Witnesses had gotten rid of, which is that everyone should partake of the Eucharist. Once a year, Jehovah's Witnesses will come together at the Memorial of Christ's Death. It's their big event. It's the only holiday they celebrate. Nice and 14, <clears throat> Passover. When Jesus, excuse me, I'm dying over here. Give me, hold on, let me get some, let me get some coffee over here. Man, talking about Jehovah's Witnesses just makes my asshole clench, you know? It just, just sucks right up, you know? That asshole just clenches. I start having pain up my rectum and my lower back thinking about these motherfuckers. So getting to the point, um, what the Bible teaches is that the Eucharist, which is the ritual ceremony or act in which Christians partake in Jesus' death and resurrection by eating the wafer and having the sip of wine. You know, this means my blood, this means my body. Keep doing this in remembrance of me until I come back. What makes a Christian a Christian, okay? What makes a Christian or traditionally has made a Christian a Christian is getting baptized and reborn with the Holy Spirit and partaking of the Eucharist on a regular basis like Catholics do, um, like other Orthodox churches do, as remembrance of Christ's sacrifice and sharing in Christ's sufferings. That means uh, sharing in his death, his resurrection, and the, um, the, uh, the perspective, the hope, the faith that when you die, you're going to be with Jesus in heaven, in his kingdom. That's the purpose of all of this. That's the purpose of Christianity. It's, it's a cult of the dead. When you die... If you have lived a faithful life, you will go to heaven and be uh, allowed entry into the kingdom of God, right? That's the idea. But see, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that because people don't go to heaven, that anyone who is not anointed by Holy Spirit or part of the 144,000 individuals mentioned of in the book of Revelation, you do not partake of the Eucharist because that's not for you. Uh, you have hope of being resurrected or, or, or being on a paradise earth. You don't get the privilege of taking the Eucharist. That's uh, Jehovah's Witness teaching. So at the, when people go to the memorial to celebrate the institution of the new covenant of Jesus Christ, they pass the bread nobody partakes of it. They pass the wine, nobody partakes of it. 
Isn't that interesting? I think that's really interesting. Is that not a denial of the Eucharist? Well, it is. It's a denial of the Eucharist. So the only people that partake of the Eucharist um, are people, are the emblems, because Jehovah's Witnesses have special language that they use that differentiates them from other churches. And so that's a whole cult behavior. Their cult mentality, cult behavior says, our group of people knows mysteries that nobody else knows, and they use special language, encoded language, that only people who are initiates of that church will understand. So instead of the Eucharist, they call it the emblems. Instead of um, the, uh, faithful, the faithful and discreet servant, it's the faithful and discreet slave. And all of these crazy, fucked up, uh, non-traditional, non-orthodox teachings about Jesus and the Bible that Jehovah's Witnesses believe. There's all kinds of language and jargon that you have to you have to understand in order for all of this stuff to make sense. Which it's why it's difficult to explain theology of Jehovah's Witnesses to another person because it's just so jarbled with all of this jargon that is unique to Jehovah's Witnesses only. Instead of calling their place of worship, a church, it's a kingdom hall. And yada, 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 it goes on and on and on. But anyway, this guy named Raymond Franz, there were people that came to him and said, you know, Ray, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that people who have a hope of earthly life are not supposed to take the Eucharist, are not supposed to partake in the Lord's evening meal or partake of the emblems. There's no, there's no biblical scripture to justify the Watchtower's organization that all Christians do not partake of the Eucharist, even if they have the hope of a heavenly life or a hope of an earthly life. Ray Franz, actually being really, really devout. Now, he was a really devout Christian. He was dedicated to the organization, but after being on the governing body for a very, very long time, he started to wise up and realize, whoa, these people are more interested in running a, a money-making organization and keeping control of a bunch of people rather than actually following Bible teachings. And how it comes down, and this is how it comes down, is that the Watchtower dogma and the Watchtower theology will always trump the Bible's teachings period. So Ray Franz said to these people, yeah, I can't tell you not to partake of the Lord's evening meal. You're right. You're right. That is a dogma, a doctrine of Jehovah's Witnesses of this organization, and I cannot in good conscience, see, crisis of conscience, I can't in good conscience tell you guys that you can't partake of the Eucharist. So there were Jehovah's Witnesses that were going to the Lord's evening meal. They were sitting there. They were passing the bread and wine. They were not partaking of it. And then after they left the kingdom hall from that gathering, they would go home or go together in small groups at home, and they would perform the Eucharist by themselves based on their faith in what they learned in the Bible. Well, this created a massive problem Everyone who was doing this practice got kicked out for apostasy. Raymond Franz got kicked out for apostasy after spending his entire life as a missionary around the world, 
being on the governing body for apostasy. And so he wrote this book, Crisis of Conscience, which, oh my God, was a tell-all book about all of the hypocrisy that goes on inside the church, which I'm encouraging you, if, the, if what I've been talking about today is interesting to you in any kind of way, and you like learning about all this kind of stuff, you got to read this book. Because you will get disfellowshipped if you're even caught holding this book. If you're a Jehovah's Witness and anybody finds out because the members of the church um, spy on each other, you know, they turn each other in all the time if they feel like somebody is doing something that's not right. If someone even finds you with this book, that's almost like an immediate disfellowshipping for apostasy. Um because Jehovah's Witnesses as a group are desperately afraid um, of being called out for their teachings, and they refuse to acknowledge any other teachings. They won't even study it. Besides having Watchtower uh, and uh, publications in your house and a Bible, and maybe you can have a King James Bible or some other translation of the Bible, you're not supposed to read or study anything about any other spirituality, Buddhism, yoga. You can't have anything to do with any other religions. You have to reject everybody else's viewpoint in favor of the Watchtower organization to be a witness. That's just the way it is. So I was raised in this, and at one point in time, I was gung-ho. I was not serious about it when I was a kid. I wasn't serious about it in my early teenage years. I avoided it. There was just something about it that was just not right to me. There was something about it that just wasn't right. I love the people. I love the Jehovah's Witnesses as individuals are very, very kind people. They're very, very loving people. They're sweet people. They're just so indoctrinated in what they believe. They can't they're, 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 they become emotionally and, and physically and spiritually entrapped in this, this cult. They don't have the ability to get out of it. But that doesn't mean that they don't have faith in it, and that doesn't mean that they're not trying to live their lives as good Christians. Now, it's funny because in the South, a lot of people think that Jehovah's Witnesses is a black church because most Jehovah's Witnesses in the South are, are uh, African American or black people. A lot of black people become Jehovah's Witnesses. In the north, you know, like in the northerly parts of the United States and California and in, in New England and farther north, you get a lot of white people that are practicing um, the, the religion. But I was born in southern Virginia on the border of North Carolina, and I was the o my family was the only white family in an all-black congregation for most of my entire childhood. And, the, and most of my life. My dad was assigned to the Norview Norfolk congregation because they needed elders there. They needed to diversify the elders there. So they sent my father there to be an elder, and so he was you know, very prominent in the congregation with a couple of other elders, but it was a black congregation. And so all of my spiritual mentors growing up were black men, all of them. All of the men that I looked up to as spiritual pillars, people who are faithful, people who are good Christians, uh, men that I hung on and clung to every single word that they said preaching the Bible and at the kingdom were black men. And one, here's, now let's get to it, okay, because this is the crucially important part of me being raised a Jehovah's Witness and, and why I'm not mad about it, and I can't be mad about it, because everybody suffers from religious trauma, okay? 
But to be a Jehovah's Witness means that you absolutely cannot be racist. Racism, I got to move now because obviously they have decided to do what they did in my other podcast, (laughs) which is come around and start mowing the lawn while I'm in the middle of making a podcast. So the point is, is we're going to take a break in a minute, but growing up a Jehovah's Witness, you absolutely cannot be a racist and be a witness. Racism is considered to be an absolute abomination to God because all men and women, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your race, are God's chosen people if you become baptized and you become a witness. So, so the concept of as, as a white boy growing up in my household, anything that was racist, anything that was considered racist, or anything that was disparaging about people of other ethnicities, very specifically between black and white people, was absolutely not tolerated. And I was taught from, from birth that racism was bad and racism was evil. And like I said, all of my friends were black growing up. I was homeschooled. I did not experience or I was not able to see the racism that non-witness kids exhibited towards uh, my black friends. I didn't have that experience. So my experience as a white boy is very, very different than the experience of pretty much all white boys um, that I know of. Because I was at home, I was homeschooled, I went to the congregation, that the, being a Jehovah's Witness and being a part of that and going to the meetings was the most crucial part of being a witness and being faithful, and all of my friends were black, all of my mamas that I looked up to that took care of me were black, all of the men that I looked up to as being spiritual pillars and my spiritual guides and mentors were black, and they were all the way until I was about 21 years old, until I got kicked out of the organization. So I did not have the same experience that other white boys had growing up when it comes to interacting with people of color, or people of other ethnicities, or black people. So, (laughs) I'm basically the jerk, right? (laughs) If you've never seen The Jerk, and if you've never seen Steve Martin... Steve Martin's movie, The Jerk, you need to watch that because that's kind of like a little story about my life. Um, And so (laughs) my black friend, my best friend, Donnie, (laughs) he says, you're not black. He says, you're not white. You're not white. My friend um, says, you have a black soul. So anyway, I think that's cute. I think that's interesting. But, and, and I'm, by no means do I think I'm black in any kind of way. I don't have the black experience. I'll never understand it. But I do know that growing up, I was very fortunate to be raised in an environment that didn't tolerate racism, which is why it always breaks my heart and it feels like someone is stabbing me in my heart whenever someone comes at me on social media calling me someone who's racist. It, it's devastating to me because it's not true. Um... It is not true that I am a racist or, or prejudiced in any kind of way towards people of color or to black people. And uh, so I had a very interesting experience growing up as a witness. 
So uh, we're going to take a break, and we, when we come back, we're going to talk about me getting disfellowshipped out of the organization and where I went from there in my spiritual journey. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm going to make a mental note right now that every Monday... Wait a minute. No, it's not Monday. <laughs> It's Friday. Every Friday morning, the people come around to do the lawn. I will remember that so I will not get interrupted ever again <laughs> by a lawnmower when I'm in the middle of my podcast. Okay, so let's rewind. After taking a little break and having a little bit of food, drinking some more of my, my latte enema, I, I need to go back. And we need to talk about my spiritual awakening. My spiritual awakening happened when I was 17 years old. And I had accepted my first job as a professional dancer. Now, I have to be honest with you. One day we're going to talk about my dance career. <clears throat> and I had pretty much been dancing professionally, training professionally from the age of 10. Like like in New York City at Broadway Dance Center, Center under Dance Masters, not just in my dance studio locally in Virginia. I had my, my dance that I did in Virginia, my competition team, but I took professional training when I was 10, and then by the age of 13, 14, I was nationally touring with the Kirov Ballet. So it was like basically professionally, but we weren't paid as students, but... Traveling the country, performing the Nutcracker in a professional way. So when I was 17, um, I took my first job as a soloist at the Komisch Opera in Berlin. So I went to Berlin, Germany. We'll get to how I ended up in Germany and how I ended up taking that job in another podcast. But while I was there... I was very troubled. I was deeply troubled when I was in Germany. I was depressed and manic because I'm bipolar, manic, depressive, untreated medicate. I was untreated for the first 21 years of my life because Jehovah's Witnesses have a poo-poo on psychiatry and therapy because they know if a motherfucker goes to a therapist and tells them about all of their problems and tells them that they're a Jehovah's Witness, that that therapist is going to be like, your religion is your fucking problem. You need to get out of that religion. It's a cult. So Jehovah's Witnesses really don't want their members getting therapy. <clears throat> and you understand why. So I had no therapy growing up. I um, had no medication growing up to treat my behavioral and mental health problems, and it was a living hell. It really was a living hell. I suffered. I even told my parents multiple times when I was a child and even as a teenager that I wasn't well, that I didn't feel well emotionally, and they still didn't do anything about it. Um, they told me I needed to pray and read my Bible and rely on Jehovah. So anyway, I'm in Berlin, Germany. My health is failing me. I'm not eating. I can't eat anything. I'm vomiting up everything I eat. I'm very upset. I hated Germany. I hated Berlin. I'm sorry if you live in Germany, and I'm sorry if you live in Berlin. My experience there was bad. 
I know it's my experience, and I was in a really bad place. But I, I, I when I'm, I didn't, I didn't hate Germany and Berlin. I hated being in Germany and Berlin and the feeling stuck there. So I was there for a while, and then one day I had this breakdown. There were two books that I read that changed and revolutionized the way I was going to approach my life starting at the age of 17. The first one is by Anthony Robbins. It's called Unlimited Power. It's a self-help book. For some reason, the Jehovah's Witnesses, yes, witnesses that I was living with in Berlin while I was working, had a copy of Unlimited Power. So I started reading Unlimited Power. I got That's a really great book. I don't know if I read it all the way to the end or, or halfway, but the amount of the book that I actually read really motivated me to change my life. So then I said, well, how am I going to change my life? And uh, Princess Diana had just died in the car accident. I remember one of the, the big world events that happened while I was in Berlin is Princess Di got killed. I woke up one morning, turned on the TV, <clears throat> and there was Princess Di who had uh, gotten killed in her car accident. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. So I decided that I was going to pick up the Bible and I was going to read the Bible. I said, you know what? If anybody has an answer to life's problems, it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. Jesus has the answer to my problems. So I turned the Bible open to the book of Matthew and I started reading the gospel, starting with Matthew. And after getting through the Sermon on the Mount, I said to myself, this is it. I am a Christian. That is my calling. I want to be a Christian, Lord. Make me a Christian. I want to go home. I want to go back home to Virginia, and I want to study this Bible, and I want to take my religion seriously. And it was from that moment on that I started taking the Jehovah's Witness organization and the church and studying the Bible seriously. I quit my job in Berlin, jumped on the next plane, came home, crashed out for about a year because I was exhausted. I came back home from years and years and years of professional dancing, and I crashed out. But while I crashed out, I basically read every single book I could get a hold on, a hold of that the Watchtower organization published, and I read the Bible from cover to cover twice because I just sat down, started reading the Bible, turned on the, the uh, audio tapes of the brother who read the New World Translation, and I started reading the Bible. And I just didn't start reading the Bible. I started doing the references, and I started doing the concordance, and I started referencing different scriptures in the Bible that related to one another. And I even bought more Bibles. I bought an American Standard. I bought a King James. I bought an NIV. I bought English Translation, the Catholic Bible. I bought several different versions of the Bible, and I read them all simultaneously, comparing them. So I became uber-Christian. And one thing that I found very interesting was my dad had recognized that I was seriously studying all of this stuff. And he said to me, I said to him, well, I'm reading the Bible. You know, I'm reading it all the time and studying it. He said, well, what, do you, what, what Watchtower publications are you studying? I said, I'm studying the Bible. I'm not reading the publications because I want to know what the Bible has to say. And my dad said, well, you should really be studying the publications. 
you should be studying the teachings of the Watchtower because it's impossible to understand what is being taught in the Bible without the revelation knowledge that came from the organization. Guess what happened? I didn't take his advice, and I kept studying the Bible. And that actually created problems for me because the more I read about the Bible, or the more of the Bible I read, the more things inside the Jehovah's Witness organization started to be a little fishy to me. And the reach <laughs> that you have to make for some of these dogmas in the tradition is really far, you know, almost unreachable. So I came into conflict. There was a couple of cracks in the glasses in the theology that I did not understand as an example of one, and this is the only one I'm going to give you. I also came to the same conclusion that other Jehovah's Witnesses did, that every witness should partake of the Eucharist, and that the original calling to the original Christians was to be with Christ in heaven, not to live on a paradise earth. I felt very strongly that going heaven, going to heaven was my calling, and I was very, very, very discouraged, not only by my father, but other brothers in the congregation, even from the circuit overseer that I became close to, about partaking of the Eucharist, which was very, very damaging to me. That really damaged me the first time I went to the memorial and didn't partake of the, the emblems. I felt that I had failed as a Christian in some kind of way in the back of my mind, and that I had denied Jesus. Yeah, I had some really, really deep, deep, deep uh, issue and problems going on spiritually back then. As a young man, I'm talking about like 18, 19 years old. Well, I became uber involved in the church. I became a pioneer, which is someone who full-time goes out into the ministry. I would wake up every morning. I'd put on three-piece suit. Go down to the Kingdom Hall for the morning meeting before everybody went out to field service is what they call it. And I would go out and I would preach the Bible every single day. And man, was I a, dyna a, dy a dynamo. I was absolutely over the top radicalized by the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. And you wouldn't have liked me very much. Well, you know what? A lot of people don't like me very much now. You really wouldn't have liked me back when I was a Christian. Uh, I was, you know, I've, I've always been prone to extremes. I've always been prone to black and white thinking. This is good. This is bad. There's nothing in between. And one of the things that I've learned over the past 42 years of my life is that I have to guard against becoming a religious extremist. I have a tendency to be religious, and I have a tendency to have black and white thinking. This is good. This is bad. I can only do this. I can't do this. That, that, that mental behavioral issue psychologically stuck with me long after Jehovah's Witnesses were gone out of my life. And that's something that I have to guard against even today. That's a big revelation I had on my spiritual path. Uh, because it's very easy <clears throat> for someone to be a devout Christian or a devout Catholic or something like that, realize that the church is bullshit, leave, and then go become a Buddhist or a Hindu or go become a witch and literally become just as blind, just as arrogant, just as ignorant, and just as fanatical about the new religion that they've embraced 
other than Christianity. And what they've done is they've taken all of their problems that they had in Christianity, all the stuff that they didn't deal with internally, and now they have transposed it onto another religion. So if you're an asshole with, when you were a Catholic, now you became scratched in Palo Mayombe or you joined Ifa religion, now you've got the same mental disposition that you had as a Christian. You're just practicing African religion now. You see what I'm saying? So real spirituality happens when there is an internal change, an internal shift in an individual. Oh, we're going to go into it. We're going to go deep into it. Not today. Can't do it today. Don't got it in me to go into all of that deep psychological, philosophical stuff about the transformation of the psyche and the transformation of the person and individuals, the spiritualization, the alchemical process. Not going to go there. So for I, I met my first partner named Joshua in the church. Now, I think you remember I said I got disfellowshipped or excommunicated out of the church for sucking dick, and that's not a lie. So what had happened was I came back from Germany. I studied the Bible. I became very, very, very entrenched in the Jehovah's Witness organization with issue because on one hand, I wanted to be a Christian, a true Christian. The Christianity that I felt inside was not matching the doctrines and the dogmas that were being fed to me by the Watchtower organization. There was a lot of internal conflict over it. And then on top of that, I'm queer. And I just say queer. Um, I'm queer. I, 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 don't, I don't really feel like I have a sexual orientation. I like everything. I like everything. I'm kind of like, I'm into a little bit of everything, all right? <laughs> so I, I don't really, I can't really say I'm gay or bisexual or straight or heteroflexible or whatever. I'm just whatever I am. I'll just kind of like screw around with who I want to screw around with. And I met Joshua while I was out in my field ministry, while he was out with his congregation in the field ministry, and I fell in love with this guy named Josh. We're not going to talk about him today. But what happened was we moved in with one another, and everybody thought for about a year and a half, almost two years, that me and Josh were good Christian boys living with one another, sharing an apartment and going out, teaching the good news about God's kingdom. While we were... Bow chicka wow wow. <laughs> Bow chicka wow wow. Every night. Well, I ended up cheating on Josh with another guy who was also a Jehovah's Witness. Oh my God, what a shit show. When I think about, when I, I it's, it's difficult for me. I've been through so much crazy bullshit in my life that when I actually sit down and try to reflect on my actions and behavior, the things I actually did, Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> it's a real tough pill to swallow when I think about all the stuff because um, it's just a lot. I ended up cheating on Josh with another brother, another witness, who went back to his congregation and feeling guilty about screwing around with me, confessed, and that congregation elders contacted my congregation elders. I got pulled before the, uh, the, the committee, and not only did I uh, confess to having sexual interactions with this other guy named Jeff, 
but I also confessed that me and Josh were in a relationship. And it's funny because Josh pretty much, being the selfish asshole that he was, would have let me get disfellowshipped and he would have stayed in that shit. But they called him in also, put him through the uh, crucible, put him through uh, the witch hunt, and when he uh, confessed that he was, yes, he was homosexual and he was in a relationship with me, well, they kicked us both out. But not before reading that scripture in the book of Revelation to him, telling him that he was a dog and he was filth. Oh, man, man. Being, being told that you're filth, that you're disgusting, that you're like a dog returning to its own vomit, that you are worthy of nothing less than destruction for all time, to be obliterated out of time and history and out of God's mind forever. Man, that really does something to you. Yeah, it really fucks you up. It kind of gives you a bad taste in your mouth when it comes to Christianity in general. So my falling out with Christianity was severe because once we got disfellowshipped, everybody knew. Everyone knew. Everybody found out and everybody knew why. It was obvious. And in that moment, I lost my family. And I remember, uh, I remember driving to my parents' house after being told by the elders that they were going to be disfellowshipping me. And I remember driving to my parents' house to tell them that I was going to be disfellowshipped so that they knew. And my, father, my, my mother was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? No, I don't understand. I don't understand. No, I don't understand. I don't understand. She's mentally ill. She didn't have the ability to comprehend it. Even though I feel like it was quite obvious to everybody around me and Josh that we were in some kind of romantic relationship, I don't know how they couldn't have seen that. My father looked at me and he said, I always knew this would happen because I think he called me a rebel or he called me sick or twisted or perverted or some other kind of choice words that let me know that my dad absolutely hated my guts. Um, for doing that to him, and he lost his ability to be an elder based on my behavior, which is stupid. It's not like he sucked a dick, you know what I mean? But they got they they removed my dad as an elder um, because obviously he was a bad father and didn't do his job raising a a boy that turned out to be, I guess, cisgendered home uh, heterosexual. And uh, and they kicked us out. And boy. That was a big turning point in my life when I lost my family, I lost my friends, I lost a reason to live, I lost a reason to get up in the morning. I got up every single morning for years and went out in field service as a very faithful and dedicated Jehovah's Witness. I went to the Kingdom Hall, I went to all the meetings, all five meetings a week. I spent, I spent you know, 40 to 60 hours a week of my life involved in the Jehovah's Witness organization because, man, do they keep you busy. They keep you busy. They want to keep you so busy that you don't have time to think about anything else. Well, when I lost all of that, I lost everything. And I decided that I was going to stick with Josh. Best decision I ever made. I could have put my tail between my legs. I could have moved in with my parents. I could have gone to the Kingdom Hall and sat in the back corner for years uh, being shunned by everyone until they finally allowed me to come back into the organization. I could, come, I could have gone back to the organization. 
and had a miserable existence being known as the, the homosexual. Or I could have stayed with Josh and, found, and try to find out what happened next. And I decided I wanted to find out what was next, at least temporarily. And maybe if I wanted to go back to being a witness, I always could. Okay, so that was in the back of my mind. Well, if I want to go back, I can always leave Josh. I can always go back. I can always apologize. I can always confess. I can always say I was wrong. There was this idea in the back of my head that, you know, I had a backup plan, right? My backup plan was I could go back with my dick between my legs to my parents' house, go back to the kingdom hall and be a witness again if that's what I chose. But, my, but I, I laid in bed for six months in me and Josh's apartment and I developed just pain, excruciating pain all over my body, like fibromyalgia. It, I, it was painful for me to open my eyes in the morning. It was painful to sit up in bed. My feet, the bottoms of my feet hurt standing up, getting out of bed. I felt like my body was uh, deteriorating. I felt shook to my core. The core of my being was shaken, was shook from this experience of losing my faith and walking away from what I had known to be true for the first 21 years of my life. And one day Josh uh, came home. He was a sign language interpreter, and uh, at the time he interpreted for colleges. And he said, you know, I'm interpreting a class right now for this man named Kenneth Bryant, who is a uh, professor at Tidewater Community College, who is teaching a class on comparative religion the religions of the world. And I really think that you should take this because you don't know jack shit about anything outside of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I think if you take this, if you take this class, go sign up, go to college, go take this class, you might learn a thing and you might understand something about the world. And I thought to myself, you know what? He's not wrong. I really don't know anything about the world except what Jehovah's Witnesses taught me. So I went down, I applied, I got into Tidewater Community College. I signed up for, for philosophy, uh, uh, Western Philosophy 101 and the World's Religions and Comparative Religions class. Those are the first two college-level classes I took. And I remember picking up a copy of Houston Smith's The World's Religions, going to that class and sitting down and receiving my syllabus, opening up and cracking that book and starting to learn about what? Hinduism. Hinduism was the first religion that I came into contact with outside of being born and raised a Jehovah's Witness. And man, was that like, well, let's go ahead and put it in gear and go a hundred miles an hour with this. And I studied Hinduism, and I studied Buddhism, and I studied Taoism, and then I studied Christianity and esoteric Christianity and Gnostic Christianity and Judaism. Kabbalah. I started learning about Islam. I learned about Sufism. I learned about Islamic mysticism. And I started just absolutely going crazy on knowledge about learning about religion. And I was so mad. <laughs> oh, I was mad. Boy, was I mad at Jehovah's Witnesses for what they had done to me and what they had done to my family. 
that they were so responsible for destroying and devastating my family. And I kind of like came around to the conclusion that I was born to break an ancestral curse and alleviate my family line from being involved in that garbage cult religion. So um, I read Crisis of Conscience. And reading Crisis of Conscience by Raymond Franz kind of like was the nail in the coffin for me that said, wow, you know what, this really is bullshit. I don't have any reason to ever go back. And you know what's interesting? I was thinking about it downstairs while I was having my meal. There's a lot of men and women who were born and raised Jehovah's Witnesses. They grow up. They have some kind of altercation with the organization. They get disfellowshipped or maybe they leave for a while they go out, they live their life, they do drugs, they become alcoholics, they get involved in gangs or violence, they get into bad relationships, you know, abusive relationships, blah, 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 blah. Life happens, and then they go back to the organization with their dicks between their legs and say, I'm sorry, please let me back in, and they go back to being witnesses. There's a very high percentage of people that are raised in that organization that will go back to that organization later on in life unless, in my opinion, they become educated. And the thing is, is Jehovah's Witnesses is such a fear-based religion. You're so afraid of everything. You're so afraid of the world. You're so afraid of everything. They make you afraid of everything. You know, every day, tomorrow is Jesus, come, Jesus is coming back. Armageddon's going to happen. You better have not fucked up. You better have stuck to all these rules and regulations and not varied at all or else. You know, it's it's... It's, it's coitins for you, coitins. So going to college and studying the world's religions and starting to study philosophy, the Greeks, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Heraclitus, studying the Stoics and starting to study Greek philosophy and Hinduism at the same time, revolutionized who I was. It changed me. It opened me up. So I had two spiritual awakenings by the age of 25. My first spiritual awakening was, and so here's what, how I feel about spiritual awakenings. You, you don't just get one spiritual awakening, okay? The spiritual path um, is an unfurling. It's an un unraveling. It is a journey because at each stage of your journey, when you progress on your spiritual journey, as you mature in spirit, you will hit plateaus in your spirituality. You will continue to grow and you will get stuck in certain paradigms. And then when you realize that that paradigm is just, well, basically a system, maybe not a system of control, but a system of religion. You break out of that. You keep moving forward. Then you start looking towards, I want what's more spiritual. I want what's more authentic. I want, I want what's real. I don't want what's fake. I want to know what's real. I want to know what I can put faith in, and I want to know myself. Self-knowledge, people. It's all about knowing yourself. Like I said, you can be in any religion you want. You can change religions, but just because you change religions doesn't mean that you know yourself. So I studied Hinduism, and I went took my first yoga class ever, 
because I wanted to study yoga. I eventually became a yoga instructor myself. We'll do another whole podcast on being a yoga instructor and the fuckery that's going on in America with yoga instruction and stupid-ass Americans in general. But I became a yoga instructor, and I remember the first time I went to a yoga class. At the very end of a yoga class, Hatha yoga class, you will lay down on the ground on your back. This is a very common practice, and you will go into what we call Shavasana, which is dead man's pose, and you will go into like a meditation laying on your back. That's the time in which all the people who are out of shape fall asleep, fart, and snore in, at the end of yoga class. Okay, I never let people lay on their back at the end of my yoga class, but we'll talk about that later. Um, I remember laying on my back with my jaw clenched, holding fists, with my eyes closed and furrowed, afraid. I was afraid that I was going to get possessed by demons. I was afraid. <laughs> I was going to, I was afraid that being in this yoga class was going to create some kind of problem for me spiritually. I was that indoctrinated in the, the whole uh, spiritism is bad, it's evil, it's wrong. Um, anything that has to do with tarot cards, anything that has to do with oracles, anything that has to do with meditation or aura, anything occult, anything metaphysical, anything yoga, all of this stuff, evil, bad, horrible, bad, wicked, evil, satanic, uh, part of Satan's world, you know, you're, you're opening yourself up to demons, you know, and I remember that I had to overcome that fear so because I had to overcome that fear to reach towards knowing the truth. And that's what I said to myself. I said, I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. I don't care how bad that truth is. I don't care how evil that truth might be. I don't, I don't, I, I, I want to know what's real. Give me what's real. Even if what I find at the end of the road is not good, I still want to know the truth. And that desire to know the truth, the ultimate truth, is what has and what continues to drive me on my spiritual path. I want to know the truth whatever that truth is. And I like using that word truth because Jehovah's Witnesses raised me believing that what I had was the truth. Jehovah's Witnesses raised me to believe that what I had was the absolute truth in that cult. And then when I left that cult or was kicked out and came to realize that all of the things that I had held to be absolutely 100% true uh, was not true, or the truth, the absolute truth about God wasn't actually the truth. It set me off on this path to discovery to find out what is the truth. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, everybody, and this is a practice I do every morning, and it's a practice I really feel that you should pick up yourself. When I wake up in the morning and I roll over and I sit up in bed, the first thing I remind myself when I wake up in the morning is that whatever I think or however I think this world works, this universe works, spirituality, God, 
religion, uh, the spiritual world, the occult, whatever it is that uh, whatever it is that makes all of this stuff work, I have absolutely no idea how it works, and I have to go ahead and assume that my assumptions are wrong. Whatever I su- assume to be the truth about the universe, more than likely, is not accurate. So I remind myself every single day, don't get stuck. Don't get trapped. Don't get hooked into believing in something just because you want to believe in it to be true. Don't believe in something based on just your emotions. A lot of people practice religion based on emotions only. Not rational, not logical. Because it's what they were raised with. Because it's what their mama told them was the truth. But a lot of people in this world, they never have a spiritual awakening. And a lot of people have absolutely no desire to pursue spirituality and philosophy and religion um, as a lifestyle and a life path at the study of it. Because they're pretty satisfied with what they have, what they get. Well, I'm never satisfied. Like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. And so I continue on this spiritual journey of mine. But after going off on that little tangent, that desire to learn about the truth about religions is what's driven me for all of these years, at least for the past, you know, 22 years. So I've been on the spiritual path for about, let's see, hold on, 25 years. I've been on the, I've been seriously on the spiritual path for about 25 years now. And, um, and I'm, and I'm very proud of myself. I'm very proud and happy about the choices that I've made to pursue wisdom and knowledge above all other things, including love. You know, a lot of, if you ask people, you know, what's the most important thing in life? What do you think is the most important thing in life that people should pursue? Well, there's, here's what the two biggest ones people will say. The first one people will say is happiness. Oh, I want to be happy. I want to pursue happiness. You know, I want to be a happy person. That's the most important thing is just be happy. The second one is love. I want to be loved. I want to show love. I want the world to be full of love. Love is the highest pursuit of the human spirit. And I say no thanks to both of them. I say knowledge. I say wisdom is the highest ideal that any human being can reach for in life because love is tricky you know love and hate (laughs) is pretty much the same emotion just on opposite ends of the spectrum i might love somebody today and i could hate them tomorrow or i could hate somebody today and i can love them tomorrow my feelings inside and my opinions about an individual or a religion or anything can change on the turn of a dime if I'm basing um, the ultimate ideal of the human condition on love. That can be very dangerous, okay? That's why I reject Christianity. I don't think love is the most important thing people should pursue. Happiness also is relative. You could be happy today. You could be happy tomorrow. But knowledge, wisdom, 
understanding not only about yourself but about the universe and especially about spirituality those things last forever the wisdom that your spirit that your soul whatever it is you want to call it the atma your jiva whatever it is you want to call it your spirit the knowledge and wisdom that you accumulate in life from experience and also from studying and reading and learning, no one can take that away from you. They could take everything else away from you. They can take your life. But the soul never forgets. And it's really, I believe in reincarnation. I believe in reincarnation because it makes sense. It just seemed, reincarnation just kind of makes sense because you know, it pretty much we live in a universe, you look at it, the universe is pretty cyclical. Universe is pretty cyclical. Everything happens in cycles in the natural world. The seasons, life on earth, animals, reproduction, plants. You know, when you look at the heavenly bodies and the rotation of, you know, the planets, our solar system, and everything seems to be going around in circles. You know, everything comes back. Even, even the 80s came back. And so I love the 80s. I really, really do. I love the 80s. I'm all about that 80s music, man. But reincarnation makes sense because consciousness, like energy, is not something that can be created or destroyed. And that's faith. I, 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 I have to say that at the end of the day, there are three beliefs that I hold to be true, and they're f based on faith. The first one that I have is that God is real, God exists, whatever that is. The second one is I believe in reincarnation. I believe that this life is not the only life you get to live. It would be, um, to me, it's kind of really depressing, short-sighted, and uh, not a very positive, healthy outlook to, to look at the world, to look at the universe, and not believe that you get more than one chance to be able to do this thing. Those are two beliefs that I hold to be dear. Uh, and the third one, I already forgot. See, that, 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 that's how little of importance I put on belief systems because belief systems change. You know, they said the Big Bang, you know, scientists have said for a long time, the Big Bang, everything started with the Big Bang. But now with the James Webb telescope out there and all of these miraculous images that we're getting, we're seeing more about the universe than we've ever seen before. In, 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 in out into space. And now they say, well, goddamn, the Big Bang might have never happened. Or if it happened, it didn't happen the way we thought it did. So I think that human beings are absolutely arrogant. I think that human beings are absolutely ignorant and extremely short-sighted and very prone to going any kind of direction based on how they feel and their emotions and what they feel to be true and even to take assumptions that they know the truth about the universe just because they can make an experiment and replicate a uh, science experiment. Now, science, I do believe in science. I believe in science because science is measurable. And I, I, I take an approach to my witchcraft and my magic and my meditation and my spirituality the same way, the scientific approach. I do this 
what kind of result do I get? If I do this many, many times, how many times do I get the same result opposed to no result? Um, my spirituality, if I practice this kind of spirituality, how does it make me feel? How does it affect my life? Does it make my behavior better? Does it make my mental and behavioral health better? Do I feel more at peace? Do I feel happy? Do I feel unified with the universe? If I practice these spiritualities or do this, how does that make me feel? You see? So um, I take my spiritual and religious life and I make it scientific because I want to test out every single thing that I possibly can and I want to push myself to the limits. I want to understand how I feel and, and that... and. And my, spiritual, my spirituality is based on what is reasonable, what is logical, okay? Uh, what I can perceive to be true through my senses. And also how I feel about it. And when I say how it makes me feel, I mean what are the effects on me from doing any particular thing. So if I chant Sanskrit mantras and Sanskrit mantras make me feel better and they make me feel healthier and they empower me and they don't harm other people and it's based on spiritual development, I will do Sanskrit mantras based on the understanding that if I chant this mantra, I get this result. That's science. That's a spiritual science. I do A, I do B, I get C as a result. And that's the way I approach spirituality 100%. And uh, the reason why I approach it that way is because of how badly I was deceived by Jehovah's Witnesses. That doubt that I have, that uh, it's not pessimism and it's not nihilism, but it's that healthy, uh, almost hypervigilant attitude I have towards buying into anyone's cult, buying into any particular religion, buying into anyone's house or coven or, or following any particular religious leader. I am highly skeptical and discriminating about every single thing I do because I never want to be in a situation where I am controlled by a religion ever again. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, had the hat, not interested in going back to living a life that's being ruled by a religion made up by men. Uh, and there you go. You got to remember something, okay? And you're going to hear me say this again because I say this a lot. It's one of my messages that I give. One of my spiritual messages I felt like I was commissioned to give the world, which is the first thing, your spiritual path is your life. Your life is your spiritual path. When you wake up in the morning, when you have your cup of coffee, when you take your morning shit, when you kiss your kids goodbye and you send them to school, when you go to work, when you interact with people on the street, when you come home, when you smoke a joint and you watch Netflix and you have sex with your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever, your fleshlight or your dildo, these are all things that are part of the spiritual life because the spiritual life and the material world are, are intimately connected with one another. They are intimately connected. They are completely intertwined like yin and yang, existence and non-existence, what is real, what is not real, what is spiritual, what is physical, what is mental, emotional, 
physical, spiritual, all of these things are completely intertwined with one another. And in order to practice what I would say healthy spirituality is, would to be practicing a spirituality that is holistic. It's holistic. It approaches spirituality on all levels of existence. And spirituality isn't just when you walk into yoga class and get on your yoga mat. It's not just when you sit in front of your shrines or your altars and talk to your spirits or your ancestors. It's not just when you go to church or temple, pray to God with the congregation, speak in tongues or get the Holy Spirit, or whatever it is that you do, meditate with other Buddhists. That those things are spiritual, but they're not ultimately spiritual. There are things that are tools, they're devices to help us learn how to be more spiritual. But at the end of the day, it's not about any religion. It's not about any particular belief system. It is about your understanding of yourself, how you treat yourself first, how you treat others and understanding that the spiritual and the material world are running parallel with one another. You know, in Hinduism, uh, the supreme reality is called Brahman. Okay, and I love Hinduism, and I love yoga, and I specifically love Vedanta, non-dual Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta, which are the non-dualistic teachings that come from the Vedas, some of the oldest writings and oldest teachings um, and hymns written on, on religion in the world. And what uh, non-dualistic Vedanta teaches is that all things are Brahman, since we were talking about Hinduism earlier. And uh, there's a prayer that asks ask the divine to lead us from the unreal to the real. And I'd like to unpack that for a second. I'd like to unpack that concept of what is unreal and what is real. Well, at least in Hinduism, what would be considered to be the real would be that which is, which is permanent, that never changes, that is constant, that is, is residing in its own nature, that doesn't change. What is real is that which does not change, which is permanent and eternal, and that which changes would be the illusion that we see which is the material world. Everything that can be created, everything that evolves, everything that dies, gets destroyed, that decays, the, the constant creation and destruction of all of the universes, <laughs> the black holes, our little lives, our birth, our death, the lives of our children, our animals. All of these things are considered in Vedanta to be unreal because they change. Not because they're not real, like they don't exist, but not real because these things are constantly changing. So there's that which does not change, and there is that which changes. And it's the combination of these two things that makes everything work. And um, that's why religions, belief systems change. Society changes. People's morals and ethics change. So to me, anything that is changeable is illusory in the sense that it is impermanent, impermanent and is ultimately going to change or go away, opposed to being 
uh, connected to that which is real, which is, is, is this deep spiritual connection to the self, okay? We're going to talk more about Hinduism and stuff later in another podcast, but just think about that. You know, meditate on these things. Um, what I have found to be true is that Jehovah's Witnesses taught me not to be a racist. They taught me to love and embrace all people of all ethnicities and all colors as my brothers and my sisters. And so um, that was a very good thing. Not like I don't get irritated with black people. I sure the fuck do. I do get irritated with them. I'm going to be straight up honest about it. There are things that irritate me about other people and cultures, but... <laughs> They're not prejudiced and they're not racist. <laughs> they're just irritations. Um, if you can understand where I'm coming from with that. But, you know, that was a good thing about being raised a witness. That was very important. Uh, and then the other thing that helped me on my spiritual path was the deception that I encountered with Jehovah's Witnesses really helped me to not be deceived by other things. And there have been times I've been caught up in religions wanted to practice different religions, thought, oh, this religion is the right religion, that religion is the right religion. Oh, it's Hinduism today, it might be Buddhism tomorrow. It's witchcraft today, it's voodoo tomorrow. But my spirituality really transcends uh, ethnic groups, dogmas, you know, the idea that you have to do something in order to be spiritual. So anyway, I'll probably say some things about Jehovah's Witnesses in the future. I'll talk about my family in the future. You know, I'm not going to lie. There was one time that I almost went back to being a witness, but we're not going to talk about it today because I've given you two whole hours of talking about my life as a witness, and we're going to leave it at that. And the next time I do um, a podcast on spirituality, we will talk about my path as a vich. okay? So I hope you enjoyed um, my podcast today. If I said something that was offensive, I am not sorry about it. If you don't like it, you don't like it. You can be mad about it. You can go die mad about it. Y'all have a good day now.